Hello, and welcome back to episode five of the Brew and Bite Show. I'm your host, Craig, and tonight we're joined by our usual panel. First up, let's say hello to our resident tech expert, Alistair. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And joining us today, we also have the wonderful mathematician that is Tina. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you. Nice to be back. And, of course, the wonderful expert in everything backup, we have the wonderful Martin. Thank you very much, Craig. Good evening, all. Welcome to the show. First up, we're going to have a little bit of a recap and some follow-ups in to last week's discussion. And if I could hand you over to Alistair. Okay, so... Uh, last week we were talking about uh, backup and one of the important things I think that may have been passed over was that we need to make sure that when we're moving to our new iPhones that we back up our iPhones either via the cloud or via connecting it to a computer and using a program like iAmazing or Apple's iTunes. The other way you can do it is you can put the two phones one on top of the other. After you take a picture of that weird swirly cloud thing that Apple presents you with, those are all quite helpful and simple ways to deal with it. We've also got information coming from both Parallels and VMware about virtualization on the new M1 MacBooks. Different between emulation and virtualization. Emulation is where you're almost copying the processes and systems inside a Windows machine. Virtualization is subtly different from that. It's allowing you to run certain systems on there, and Microsoft will probably have to release a different version of its operating system specifically for the Macs if we're going to go down the virtualization. Was anyone else wanting to add anything to this? I think the virtualization thing for me is quite important. I'll be watching it really carefully because I currently have Windows 7 on my both my machines and i use it very occasionally but i would, would hate to lose it at some stage i'm hoping to upgrade to apple silicon but what's going to make me wait is what happens with virtualization i use vm fusion so what's what matters to me is that my virtual machines can transfer over and i can still use them I really wouldn't want to be learning a new Microsoft operating system. I'm happy with Windows 7. I don't do anything other than use a very old copy of Office. So I don't use it on the internet. So it doesn't matter that it's not supported. I don't you know, do anything other than Office work. So if I can't have those transferred across or I'm forced to learn a new machine, it may mean that I keep running my old laptop a bit longer. Is there a particular technical reason why Windows is not going to run on the Mac at the moment? We're having to go on what Amantech and other uh, very clever engineers have worked out because they're working out that this chip is pretty much an A14 chip with similar ARM architecture added to it. And at present, Microsoft have designed their operating system to work on Intel chips. So it's going to be difficult to emulate an Intel chip on an ARM processor. So that's where I think we might have some problems. Is that not where the Rosetta 2 is going to come into it, Alistair, that that, that that will emulate an Intel chip to programs and apps that need 
that kind of uh, workaround because they can't easily transport to the silicon. It's possible. We we haven't seen anyone yet who's got even a test Mac yet to run anything on there. The only thing we've seen is from both Parallels and VMware, they both said we're looking forward to working on this. So maybe they've got early copies and they're on the NDA and they're not allowed to report it yet, but it's highly possible. It might be a question we get into later on in the show when we're talking about uh, Big Sur, um, about whether or not that has a boot camp section in it or a, a bootable format that you could set up a separate uh, clean section on your hard drive to run something like um, Windows, similar to what happens at the moment. Yeah, but we, we, we don't have anything really hard for at the moment. It's all based upon what people are speculating. Basically, the M1 is a... M is a A14 chip with additional features. And also, I think some people have started doing, is it, the, several sites have said that they've done speed tests and it does appear to be very fast. I think there is a seg- there's going to be a separation between the A-, A range of chips and the M range. A will be primarily for uh, phones and, and uh, pads, Whereas the M range will be more for, um, you know, Mac Mini, iPad Pro, um, the, sorry, not the iPad Pro, the iMacs, um, the the MacBook Pro range, the Mini Mac, the, the more, um, what should we call it, um, slab-sided stuff rather than the, the pads and the, um, the phones. So I think you'll find two, this is the M1 chip. I wouldn't be at all surprised, but next year will be an M2. Or it may even be they could that would be the way that they can split and differentiate. So for the MacBook Pro 16-inch, they may very well have an M1X chip, which has more cores or more power or whatever. And also, I think that what they're saying at the moment with the M1 chip, isn't it? Isn't there an issue about how much RAM you can run? Yeah. So let's get. We'll do, so there's a little bit we can discuss about the M1 without going into too much technical, great technical detail. If you just explain what the difference between an ARM chip and an Intel chip is, maybe, Alistair, and why it's called a Mac Mac One chip. Yeah, they run the. Yeah, we don't know yet what we haven't even got the bus speed yet of what these chips are. Yeah. So you know, normally on 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 Macs, you normally say it's a two point two gigahertz processor. We can't even say that on this. Well, we can say it's an M1 chip. So this week we saw lots of Apple news. We saw the third event of the year, surprisingly so, with the One More Thing event in which we saw quite a lot of new products released. We saw the MacBook Air, a new MacBook Pro, and even a Mac Mini. And who would like to discuss first about one of the three? Well, I think we should start off with what, what powers them. All three are powered by the same basic chip, this uh, new chip that, uh, that Apple are pro- uh, promoting, their new M1 chip, which I believe, Alice, is based on the, uh, the A14 Bionic chip as its base. Yes. So the, the new M1 chip is pretty much like uh, an A14 chip X with additional functionality added to it. Um, so you're, and we know that the A14 is the most powerful chip that Apple have produced to date. It's more powerful than anything they've got on the market. 
from the initial benchmark scores that we've seen coming in. They're saying it's the fastest Mac Apple have produced, faster than the Intels, but we will wait until the reviewers have got it in their hands before we can confirm this. Um, the M1 is the uh, is a system on a chip uh, system, so you have the GPU, the RAM, and all the other bits are sort of uh, all combined, so that's it, uh, all together. So there's an awful lot on this M1 chip that RAM separately on the motherboard, but there's the, the, um, the graphics RAM and all that stuff is all put together. And there's a article by Anantech, which we'll put up on the show notes, which goes into detail about this, where they're speculating and where it's all coming from. The M1 chip is also ditching the Intel x86 architecture. So I guess we may be moving on to either the silicon architecture or the M series architecture. We haven't been told yet what that's going to be called. Um, anyone looking to uh, get one of these new MacBooks? Uh, well, my um, current uh, main machine is a 15-inch MacBook Pro, a 2018 model. Um, so that really has got should have another year's life in it. I, I, I tend to upgrade one Apple product a year, one of the biggies. Um, I've just, just got my new phone, so that's this year taken up. Um, if I can squeeze a little um, uh, mini pod, I might do for Christmas, um, but that depends on how, how nicely the, the wire's going to treat me. Um, so I'll be all likely to be going to upgrade my MacBook Pro next year, which hopefully on the timeline will suit. There'll be a, a 16-inch MacBook Pro with the new chip, um, so that's what I'd be looking for for myself. Um, the I've got, I have got a mini Mac in the office that I use occasionally, uh, and that's way behind. So that might be the one that might get upgraded first. Tina, I've got a um, mid two thousand and fourteen fifteen inch MacBook Pro. So the announcement about the Apple Silicon was enough for me to think I need to wait. I was also interested because they were pretty cagey, but they were saying, oh, there'll be updates to do with Adobe um, at, at the beginning of next year. So I'm curious where we're going. Um, so I'm going to wait and see, because it could be that my next MacBook Pro is an Apple Silicon, but it's all to do with what happens next. I'm a little bit disappointed when I looked at the webcams that they haven't upgraded from 720. Um, they've said that with the new architecture of the chip, it's smoother, it can recognise you, you know, the lighting is better, this, that and the other. But with the way we're all going with more people doing video calls, I'm a little bit surprised that Apple haven't bitten the bullet and upgraded the webcam a bit more. So that's an interesting one for me. Interesting point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if the reason they haven't upgraded it is because they may be realizing that a lot of people are in bandwidth constrained areas. And so a 1080p camera would get downgraded to a 720 in areas where you've got poor bandwidth. The other thing which may come in is they may be um, upgrading some of the features with 
better uh, software upgrades. We don't know as yet. Um, so they may have taken some of the camera technology from the iPhone and put it into the new Macs. Because in the past, we used to have the T2 chip, which was basically a chip from the iPhone doing all the security or the digital enclave section. That now may be handed off to the M1 chip. And so the M1 chip may be boosting the uh, graphic side of the digital camera, but we don't know as yet. So I actually use a MacBook Pro 2015 i9, and I'm personally quite happy with it at the moment. Um, out of the lineup that they bought out, I'm quite interested in the Mac Mini because I also use a Mac Mini server, which is starting to show its age now. So that would be quite an interesting experience to try something different. I quite like that they've prioritized a Mac Mini 2. My only disappointment was the hard drives or the SSD size that they've launched it with. I think 256 is quite small. I was going to say, I think the, 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 I think the price is pretty impressive for that for that unit, though. Well, they've kept it to a 699, isn't it? Um, and I presume with, un, with the unfortunate Apple exchange rate of one to one, we'll be paying 699 uh, pounds for that. But it's still a, a pretty good value machine because you can, again, link it up to everything you've got already. You're not having to, to exchange everything. Um, and it is quite a beefy machine. You can actually put some quite large amounts of RAM and uh, memory in there. Because if you've got the money, it's a, it is a pricey way of doing it. But it does, as I said, setting it up as a little mini server um, look, looks a very interesting way to go. I'm fond of the Mac Mini, which is odd, really, considering it's a bunch of electronics. But it's a good entry into the Mac world. And that's how I, I, I changed from Windows to Mac. I had a Mac Mini. Um, uh, and that was great. I really liked it. Um, the, only, what, the only thing I think I would miss from it is the webcam. Um, because with a laptop, it's just so easy. And with an iMac, it's just so easy. But it, it's a way of people who aren't used to Macs coming into Macs in a relatively cheap way. Does it not help education as well, Tina, in that they can use the cheaper peripherals, monitors and everything else that they've got along and then still be able to have a, an Apple presence in, in the school? Um, I know a lot of schools have to bulk at the price of, you know, what you can buy a PC for compared to a, an iMac. But it might be a halfway house that you could still enjoy the benefits of the Apple system while still having cheaper monitors, uh, keyboards, mouse, everything else that you can buy at much reduced rates through the education uh, supply system. I think in schools, well, in my old school, they used um, the smaller MacBook Pros because they, they could charge them. They've got special things. They can take them out and lock them away. And they don't have to worry about anything being plugged in because it's like a complete unit. Um, so, yeah, I think it all depends on the school and how much money they've got. As because once you've got a Mac Mini plus a display plus a mouse, it's not that different from, say, getting a MacBook Air or a, a base-level MacBook Pro 13-inch. So a lot of schools are going to go for that route, and the junior schools and the, and the primary schools are probably going to go for iPads. 
mm. rather than laptops yeah. or Mac minis. What did you actually think of the show itself? Did anyone get a chance to watch the uh, presentation? I got to watch the presentation slightly delayed, but yes, um, it was an interesting presentation. It It's a very difficult thing to try and talk about in a PR advert, which pretty much it was, about a chip, because not that many people are interested in learning about a faster, more powerful chip and how it compares to an average PC or another Macintosh computer. Okay, you summed that up in 30 seconds. Now, what do you fill up the rest, of the, com the, the rest of the talk with? So they were trying to say why this was more interesting, why this is different. And they did quite a clever series of talks and different individuals trying to talk about it and saying, okay, this little rectangle has this bit in it and this other rectangle has this other bit in it and this will new things will come out. And I think they actually did quite a good job talking about it, but... The, the real difference is that the vast majority of people will judge the computer on how it does everyday tasks. The one thing I would say they were highlighting was how it works on high-end tasks like Final Cut. Now, the average person who buys a MacBook Air is not running a Final Cut Pro. They're running email, running pages, running Microsoft Word, doing simple things like that. And occasionally they'll move, when it comes to Christmas, doing the, the iMovie or, or some high-end photography, but that's about it. The, the biggest problem you run up with is um, how does the average person get on with it? Yes, we all know that the studios will do brilliantly from it because they can extend it. But it was interesting as a result from it. But doesn't that isn't that very similar to their their whole style of TV adverts? When you when you watch their adverts, they hardly ever mention any kind of fact about the the product they're selling at the time about size of chip or that or the other. It's just how good it does this, how good it does that, uh, and they they steer away from any kind of comparisons. It's just. You know, these are the photographs you can take on an iPhone. This is what you can produce with your kids on an iPad. So I think the 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 show we saw on uh, on display by Apple was more to uh, developers and to the the high end, maybe a lot of the advertising people who are going to use this. Um, but I wouldn't have thought, much, as you say, much of the public would be really interested in, in the nuts and bolts. It's like saying BMW coming and say, look, we've got this great new injection kit for our carburetor for our car. All right. So, yeah, it sounds great. But do I really want to know about it? No, just how fast will the car go? There was the other one which uh, reminded me of when Apple brought out the, I think it was the iPhone 5, and one of the journalists said, wow, you brought up this new, faster, greater phone. He said it's the equivalent of buying a Ferrari and living in a little country lane in some part outside London. He says even being in a Ferrari, you still go get stuck in traffic. It doesn't mean that traffic is going to go any faster because you're in the faster car. So it, it, it all comes down to that. The, the only thing I will say is that on standard comparisons, it will be very interesting to see what the public thinks of it. And so far, the one thing I've got from people who are not Mac-based and are sort of have a general interest in technology, the one thing they said so far is, wow, the battery life. Because if you compare this, the stats which Apple are saying on their website, 
10 hours from the Intel Macs compared to 17 hours on the M series MacBooks. That's quite high difference. Um, that could mean quite a lot of difference for the average person, especially if you're not running anything too intensive on there. So it, it could really sort of change a number of things. The one thing I was slightly concerned with is if you look on the Apple website at the price of the RAM at the moment, it's £200 to go from 8 gig to 16 gig, or £200 to go from 256 to 512 RAM, uh, the, the SSD. Now, the vast majority of people are going to spend the £200 to have a bigger internal drive rather than make it go faster because very few people understand what RAM is. As far as they're concerned, they want, do they really want a bigger go to their computer? Interestingly, right. When I do buy a new laptop, I max out the RAM because I know that's the one thing I can't change. Whereas the hard drive, I can supplement yeah, with an external hard drive. And I'll be honest, it's pretty fast. Um, so even if I'm storing my photos and working on my photos, I might have working photos on the hard drive. So I just keep my hard drive content as lean as possible um, and make sure, and I do the same with my phone actually, I make sure that I offload photos except for the ones that I'm currently working on and I do stuff like that. And I know that the RAM is the one thing that's going to future-proof whatever I buy. So you, that's what I'm at. Do you offload to iCloud or to an external hard drive, or how do you? I offload to a, an external hard drive. Um, I, I use I use iCloud quite a bit, um, as well as the, the the backup we talked about the last show about how that's all covered. But like yourself, yeah, I t I, I have my working files on the MacBook Pro. It's only got a 500 a gigabyte hard drive, and that's nothing. That goes nowhere, um, especially when you're doing videos. Um, that's gobbled up in no time. So I have to keep all of that on external hard drives for for uh, retrieval work, and then it's archived as quickly as possible um, so that I can reuse that space for my next project. Uh, I agree. I would say that the... if I mean, the, the biggest problem I have is I'm on the 2015 MacBook Pro, and I've got 256 gig internal. Um, but I I have to be very careful which applications I install on this Mac and do I link it up to Dropbox? And if I do, which files do I have? Because I have Dropbox, iCloud, and Google Drive. I have to be very careful to be selective of what I have on this particular uh, computer because I work for other companies and each of them use slightly different cloud software. Um, the one thing I would say is, is if um, we're looking at user case scenario, I think what we're probably going to find is that people are going to be trained to have just the operating system and the apps on on OneDrive, and then we'll end up people buying uh, Thunderbolt 3 uh, external drives, which are going to be much larger because they've done this already with the Mac Pro, they were sort of suggesting with, you know, buy just bigger external drives to get around that issue. Um, just one thing I will say on the, the iPhone, I would say that if you are the tech person in your household, just make sure if they come over or you meet them outside for Christmas or something, just check if that iCloud is actually backing up because I discovered yesterday that one of my relatives was getting a new iPhone and they hadn't been checking their backup and 
it had gone back to the five gig backup plan. And so they had 30 gigabytes of data on the 64 gigabyte iPhone trying to fit into five gig. So all I did is I just turned on the backup, made sure that they uh, were backing up their data, stuck it on my high-end Wi-Fi, and let it back up. So at least they would have an iCloud backup so they could transfer from their current iPhone to their new iPhone. Um, and that's just a simple thing you can just do if you're the tech person in your household. When do you think the next um, event's going to be? Will they have one in December? Will they surprise us? Or do you think we'll we'll have to wait till January now before them to announce the... I presume they'll have more of these to announce the iPads, sorry, the iMacs and MacBook Pro 16-inch and mac pro they'll they'll keep these as because uh, they're good marketing events aren't they they get a lot generate a lot of interest all the tech papers are all saying well what's going to be shown at the next show so um i think we mentioned this before apple are adept at um uh, certainly um i would imagine with this if ces is going to be a virtual show this year um i wouldn't be at all surprised that apple will make a big announcement the same week or prior to it or or just after, you know what they like. They 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 do like to uh, throw other people's uh, plans out of out of sync. It's interesting you say that, Martin, because I was having a discussion with somebody earlier this week and said about how companies have adapted their product launches or their events for the COVID nineteen restrictions, and they said that Apple is really the only one that's took it on board and done something quite different with it and been quite playful with it when others are just trying to do their usual standard presentation and it's just broadcast over Zoom. Should we talk about the introduction of our new favourite operating system that was launched this week on the 12th of November? We saw the introduction of Big Sur. Has anybody done the wonderful download yet and installation process? I haven't yet. It's a big download. It's 12 gigabytes to download. And also go into the problem I've had with, I, I got my new iPhone 12 Pro Max uh, on Friday. I'm very excited to get it up and running. And I found that, like uh, Alistair said, about it said back up your iPhone. So I started to back up my iPhone 10 that I have. Uh, to be told that there wasn't enough memory on my MacBook Pro for all that was stored on the iPhone. When I checked into it, I had 208 gigabytes of data stored on the phone. So I then had a problem about how do I back up to my drive. I thought the the obvious answer was to back up to a external drive, but unfortunately uh, Apple won't allow you to do that in Finder. You can't plug in the two phones, it won't recognise or it won't see both, and it won't allow you to transfer. If you do a backup to iCloud, it's only uh, certain relevant data. It won't back up all your settings, your apps, and everything else. So there's a bit of a quandary about how to do that. Um, I found, finally found that there was a way uh, within Apple's own system that you can transfer from one phone to another. Um, but that's done over Bluetooth. So it took two and a half hours to transfer the data from my iPhone 10 to my iPhone 12. So if you are doing that, you just need to be aware and make sure you have either enough space on your internal hard drive to do it as a simple backup process, or you need to look at transferring the data from phone to phone. Um, there's a little 
um, Apple do show you how to do it. Press press button A, press button B, take a picture of the fancy blue dots, and then the, the phones will link together. But they need to stay in close proximity to each other. And so be prepared, it will take a few hours if you've got an awful lot of data like I have to get that done. I suppose for, for smaller phones it won't take as long. But just be aware that that is a process that you need to do if you're upgrading. Um, now I've got it up and running. Now it's uh, all got all the data on it. Um, I'll be off for a play tomorrow about to uh, see how good the new camera is and, and what it does. But the phone looks fantastic. The pictures I've seen on it so far, I had a quick look at uh, some movies, both the ones I've shot uh, and some movies downloaded and some 4K. And the, the quality on the screen is just phenomenal. Uh, for me, jumping from a 10 to a 12 Pro is a big jump and I certainly see it. So yes, I'm having a, looking forward to a good play tomorrow with the camera, video. Uh, we'll try and maybe put a few links up on the podcast site if you want to have a look at direct comparisons as to, to what I found in, in everyday use. And I'm, I'm always a bit wary when I look at the, the shots taken. You know, when you see these pictures, shots taken on a phone, whatever. Well, it's great if you've got a £12,000 lighting rig in the background um, or you're off in the wilds of the Sahara or the Serengeti or, or Yellowstone National Park. So tomorrow we'll be out in a, a dull grey day in the middle of an English countryside. So we'll see how that works. Be be interesting to see also um, what the sound quality is like so that if you're making a phone call or if you're playing back any films, so maybe you're watching iPlayer, uh, if if the sound quality is any better on the uh, 12, because from what I was reading, the 12 has got better sounding speakers on it. Yep. Yeah. I'll. Um, you know, I'll. You can give me a ring tomorrow, Alistair, and I'll tell you what you sound like. <laughs> <laughs> or Tina, or Craig, or anyone else who wants to give me a ring, but always do so. Yeah. We'll see how good the sound is. <laughs> we'll put Martin's contact details in the show notes. <laughs> 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 But, but anybody that wants any DIY, please give him a call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for the jobs. It's great. I always wait a week or so before I even think about upgrading the operating system. Um, and I'm really careful because there's, you know, there is some software that I use, some peripheries that I use that I worry that if I um, update the operating system, um, it will break those things that I use. So I've got a tablet from Wacom that I'm waiting to see, will it work, will it not work? And obviously my MacBook is quite old. And so having waited, I've seen some rumour sites are saying that, that 2013 and mid-2014 MacBook Pros have been bricked by Big Sur. So obviously I'm now going to be super, super cautious. You should be able to check on the Apple website um, for what machines are compatible or not, Tina. If you, uh, there's normally a checker in there. You put in your serial number and it will tell you uh, don't upgrade or upgrade. So you, that is one way of checking. Um, so that's just the hardware. As you say, with software, again, I, I'm i still using Aperture. And I'm running it under retrospect to, to keep it working. Um, so I need to double check that that will work under Big Sur. Um, because Apple, unfortunately, for some reason, they really have it in for Aperture. Um, so they they may very well bring in in the Big Sur, put in a, a line of code to stop even retrospect working it. So, um, yeah, that will be the one thing uh, that will put me off uh, jumping to uh, Big Sur. 
but I must admit, I, I know I, I, I give all the advice, you know, don't jump to the to the first uh, point update and all that sort of stuff. But I'm also a bit of a sucker for getting straight in there as soon as it comes out. So it uh, if it hadn't been for the, the, the issues with my iPhone today, getting into that one, I think I would have upgraded over the over the uh, weekend. But from my I've heard from some colleagues in, in BTN and, and they've said they've upgraded and they love it. It works really well, it's very clean, modern, nice nice new look to it and they don't seem to have had any any problems yet um, admittedly one or two are saying they are worried about the adobe situation because they use photoshop an awful lot so they're the ones luckily they have another machine that they can they can still run that under catalina so if you're fortunate enough to have a couple, a couple of different machines you can try it on one but my macbook pro is my primary source so um yeah that will more likely get updated uh, tomorrow night you need to do it overnight because it takes so long to download if you've got a slow slow connection it's interesting you mentioned slow connection in that a lot of the news stories this week were bashing apple's installation process of big sur saying that people were waiting four and a half hours for it to download and install or that their install wasn't completed correctly after downloading but in all honesty i installed it a few days ago and didn't have any issues whatsoever it went in quite smoothly in that regard what download um, did you have craig ah uh, that that that's the added bonus so i have quite a high download speed however the other thing i would say is that in being and having an apple developer account i've been using the beta versions of the software and you commented on the Adobe situation. So I had problems with Adobe on some of the early betas, but being in the whole ecosystem of photography of Adobe's wonderful creative cloud system, they have pushed out updates that seem to have affected some of the areas that I was having problems with. If you were trying to do anything involving high editing like patching or dodge and burn in photos you saw a lot of issues but that seems to have gone away in the most recent update they've done but we're still not native yet and of course adobe come out with their standard routine oh we don't advise you doing this uh, yet as we haven't caught up and we've uh, we're only working on it now they've i'm sure like you as a developer they've had big sur uh, for at least three or four months to work on but uh, uh, then again, I suppose I'm being unfair to Adobe. Their, their, their products are very high end. They're quite complex programs, so I would imagine they will need quite a bit of uh, adjusting to the new, the new regime. So let's hope they do it fairly quickly for those who, who rely on Photoshop for their a lot of their main work and their main uh, product flow. I think Alistair's got some information regarding which machines Big Sur operates with. So Big Sur, according to the Apple website, works with MacBooks early 2015 or newer, MacBook Airs mid-2013 or newer, Mac MacBook Pros late 2013 or newer, Mac Minis late 2014 or newer, iMacs mid-2014 or newer, iMac Pro Mac Pro late 2013 or newer, and Development Transition Kit 2020 if you are on the latest hardware. 
The other thing I will say is that I have done for many years, downloaded the latest operating system onto an external drive and connected it to my Mac and tested it on my Mac without putting it on the main hard drive. That way I can test the hardware without actually damaging anything on the drive because it's on external drive. But the second thing, which is more important, is you want to test, is the operating system compatible with you as the user? Because a lot of you probably noticed that when you move to Catalina, iTunes changed quite a lot. So you now have backup now in the Finder. The the layout of the, the uh, playlist is different. Mail is different on Catalina. There's quite a few things which are different, and that might not be compatible with how you like to have things done. A lot of the notification apps which I use have said they're not compatible yet with Big Sur because they're one or two individuals who are developers. They don't have the money to bring in tons of uh, software engineers to develop it. And the other thing I'll point out, if you are on a old machine and you haven't changed your hard drive in maybe four or five years and it's a mechanical drive, or you're on one of those older iMacs, which has got a Fusion drive, I would wait or test uh, your um, version of Big Sur on an SSD. You can buy some very cheap SSDs in this country. You can buy like a data cell. I think one of the cheapest SSDs you can put stuff on at the moment and you can test it. And if you want to know how to boot onto your external drive, you just hold down the Alt key or Option key when the Mac goes bong and then you can choose the external drive to boot off. The reason I mentioned the Fusion Drive iMacs is because often the one of the two drives of the SSD or the conventional hard drive starts to fail once they get to like four to five years from my experience as an engineer repairing them. And it's often one of the two is incompatible. And when you put 11 gigabytes of data onto a phone, it can be very disruptive because it's a small phone. It can heat up. Now, imagine what you do if you do the exactly same thing, but to an iMac, and one of those drives has been on for maybe six months, nine months, because you don't reboot your computer. You may end up with your computer not restarting. So um, not trying to scare anyone. I'm just trying to be realistic from what I've seen in the field myself. Yeah, no, wise words. I, I would I would heed that. Um, but I like the idea. Yes, I think I'll, I'll, I'll try that tomorrow. I'll put the uh, download onto um, that. But that means you, you don't follow through the upgrade cycle within um, the apps. You need to go to the Apple website and find the, uh, the download for the whole uh, upgrade file, don't you? You can do it that way, or you can do it through the App Store. And the App Store or, or internal, so it would be now a system preferences for Big Sur, you can always choose which hard drive you want to install it. So you just get an external caddy, put the SSD into that caddy, format it for APFS, and then you tell the Big Sur installer to install it onto that drive. And if you have an external backup, or you can say... Um, do a time machine backup from this external backup and you can test everything on there without actually destroying your internal drive. The other um, smaller thing, which a lot of people um, may not notice, is that the average hard drive you buy, which is not an SSD, is 5400, is not going to be fast enough for 
Catalina, Mojave, or Big Sur because they're all APFS drives. Uh, or the, the APFS works better on those drives because it's a new Flash-based operating system. That's why I'd always recommend testing these new operating systems on an SSD, not a conventional hard drive you've had lying around for ages. Is that that's the spin speed, isn't it? Fifty six hundred you're talking about. Correct. So you need to go to the yeah, you need to go to the high one, a seventy two hundred at least to, to to use that effectively. You've been using uh, Big Sur, Craig. What can what can you tell us? What's the what's the main difference? What are ordinary people like me going to notice when we we first switch it on? So um, a major part of that, I would say, is the settings and access to system preferences. When and where you open different applications, you are now presented with a access notification. So example being, if anyone's familiar with Slack, when you open it for the first time, it will ask that Slack is requesting access to your pictures folder or downloads folder. This is certainly part of the new security update that Apple have done. So you're actually authorizing individual apps access to different folders. That was the major one that I found from the offset. The other thing I'd say is controls around Bluetooth devices and volume controls are more familiar if you're an iOS user. It uses very much a similar interface, so you can change the volume quite easily. It has a much, from what I've seen on the on the site, it has a quite a much more iOS iOS look to it, hasn't it? Similar, looks very similar to a to a pad now, an iPad or a phone even. Um, and, and there's always been this rumours about that we're going to weld the two of them together, bringing the the iOS system together with uh, Mac OS. But this still is sufficiently different that it it runs on uh, machines other than phones and tablets. The one thing I did notice, one of the tricks I liked was that you can link your, I'm your, so I've got my MacBook Pro here, I can, we're using a sidecar, I can link it to my iPad Pro, and I can use that as a tablet. You were saying earlier on about a, a tablet, so if I open up a, a document in on my MacBook Pro, and I want to make adjustments that using my pencil, um, I obviously can't do that on my, my MacBook Pro, but now linking the two together, I can actually use my pencil as a sketch pad, like a, um, uh, a WeMap pad onto uh, the screen. And I can then adjust and, ad and adapt and add things like that uh, with my pencil, which I think is great. I've sort of missed that ability on my, my MacBook Pro occasionally. You also find that the hands-off feature works a lot more fluidly. So example being that you could open up QuickTime and in the panel at the top it will say import new movie from iPhone so you can physically open up your camera on the iPhone and it will record directly the other nice feature with that was that if you've got Safari open or pages open on your iPhone and you set your phone next to your Mac it will show a little notification in the dock to say that it's open on your phone and do you want to carry on on the Mac? It's much, much smoother so going that, from one device to the other. So Tina's problem about a camera on a mini Mac or the camera on the, the laptop? If you could connect your phone camera to what you're looking at, say you're doing a, a Zoom or a Team or something like that and the camera on the laptop isn't good enough, you'd be able to maybe link your phone camera, which is better, 
to the system and use that. Yeah, it's true. You could do it that way. There are different iOS apps that we shall come to in a little bit around how you could do that quite easily. Right. So I will I will follow your advice, Alistair. I will get myself a, an SSD, download the the uh, file for uh, Big Sur onto that, uh, and have a play with that without actually compromising my MacBook Pro until I'm happy that uh, I can switch it over. That'd be good. Thank you. One other big point this week is people are now finally getting their new phones they're arriving at their homes through their contactless delivery as apple have put it and i think there are more than one person in the panel that has finally got their new shiny new phone and if tina would like to start so i've got the iphone 12 pro so i've I've got that as opposed to the 12 because i wanted the better camera um currently i'm not walking very far at the moment but i have been out to the park with it and taken some pictures and it's interesting so i had an iphone 10 and possibly it's not a fair comparison but what i did see was that when i opened the app once i was taking a photo it seemed to have it was easier to have is it two times two times one times, you know, there's the more widescreen. I need to look at the settings, though, because I opened up the pictures. My first impression is a normal photo appears to be much more detailed than the photos that I had with my 10. Um, I took a picture of a mansion and in a local park, very posh. And when I opened the photo, the brickwork is what I noticed. It was very sharp. And then when I enlarged it, it seemed sharp from corner to corner and all the cross. I had a look at the widescreen one when it, you know, like the big wide. And the quality didn't seem so good on that. It seemed a bit blocky at the edges. So I might look at that and see, is it a settings thing? Is it a me thing? And see what it's like. Um, and I think I will be taking some photos with my 10 just to see the difference. But first off, I'm impressed with the quality. What I do find interesting is it doesn't seem to last as long battery-wise as my 10. I'm more aware that it's losing charge faster during the day. Um, but that could just be that I'm using it a lot because obviously I'm, you know, in my house a lot at the moment recovering from an operation. All in all, so far, I'm impressed. So there is um, one of the things that they have identified is that when you move to a new phone, the phone is learning about how you charge your phone and how um, you use your phone on a daily basis. So that learning technology may be part of the reason why the battery usage is going down. The other thing I notice is that I often will have to go in and override its um rather efficient uh, brightness control. So it tries to make the screen really bright and I want it slightly darker so I get a better battery life. But those normally resolve itself within about a week. Um, I'll be curious to see your photos once they come up. They're meant to be look quite interesting. From what I've read online, it says that the average photographs, they don't see much difference, but in challenging circumstances, it looks quite different. What what does the fit and finish feel like? Does it feel heavier than your 10? 
these are the things you can't tell from a photograph. You can't tell weight. You can't tell f- f- how does it feel. It's a little bit geeky. And so I liked the fact that it looked like an iPhone 4. I like the form factor. I like the fact that it isn't tapered. It does feel slightly heavier, but not massively heavier. And even that actually feels like it, it feels like it's a quality piece of kit. And I'm not saying that the iPhone 10 isn't a quality piece of kit, but it's just got a bit of heft to it. Not massively. And I've got the silicon case because I always cover my phones because I want them to stay beautiful. And I didn't want the clear one because that's the funny thing on the back because of the MagSafe, which I don't actually use. Yeah, because I might as well just plug it in. If I'm going to have a MagSafe, I can just plug it in as well. And the silicone case is really nice. It's not normally silicon can be a bit sticky, but this is almost like suede. So generally, it, it it feels slightly heavier, but in a good way. I agree with you, Tina. That, that going back to that square edge format, similar to the four and five that we used to have, uh, I think it gives it much better grip. Now, I normally always have it in a, a case, but I haven't got that yet. They're only just been released, so I've ordered a new product red case from apple and the thing i find with them is at the back the camera lens section does stand very proud of the phone so if you put it down just uncased naked it rocks you can hear that on the desktop it's rocking away there which is um and you're also worried that you're you're directly on top of the lenses so the case that i've got is i've got the leather case is thick enough that once you put the case on the back the lenses are actually slightly below the finished surface. So when you put it down flat on the tabletop, the lenses aren't actually touching the, the surface, whatever you've got, um, which, again, the last thing you want is scratches on these little lenses. But other than that, as I said, I haven't had much time really to play with it. The quality is, is typical Apple, very, very good. It feels, you know, you've paid, what, 1500 quid for one of these phones you you want it to feel like that it doesn't feel flippant um i was tempted to do the eye bend gate test but i'm not going to go anywhere near that it looks fairly robust i'm um, even just giving it a squeeze there doesn't seem to be any kind of movement or any any slack in the system um again like you said tina although it is um mags charging i've got stands and everything with uh, lightning adjusts stand so it'll stick with that and i'll stay on that for the time being because it does mean that if you're in mcdonald's at all you can get a trickle charge by sticking it onto the little uh, symbol on some of their tabletops if you're there um the other thing uh cool quality as far as i can tell so far is good the screen as i said is wonderful i, look, I looked at a couple of movies last night and they were just great i was watching the mandalorian on my phone which i've not done the path and it, it was it was great um, but I'll give you a more full, in-depth uh, next podcast where I've had a chance to to use it more and, and play with it more. But so far, so good. I had come across some interesting facts regarding the camera, which, to be honest, Apple didn't highlight. I don't know if anyone is aware, but when you take a photograph, you're not actually taking one photograph at all. You are actually processing nine photographs at any one time. And that's one of the reasons why when you look at your photos, there's normally a MOV file that's associated with it. And that's hilarious because that's like a second I've looked at it. So I've got my picture and then I looked at the MOV file. And you can actually see, because I had people in my shot, and I can actually see them walk in my photo. 
and I'm not sure how they process that, but you can just see them move. The the strange thing there about it as well is who you look at it, um, I don't know how it does it, but as soon as you raise the, the phone up to take a picture, it's starting to record. So that when you press, actually press the button, it's already got the second before you've pressed the button, plus the, the second that you've taken the, the press button and the second afterwards. So you get that little, that, that little um, uh, movie file, you say. But it's actually, it's almost like recording before you've even pressed the button, which is quite strange. I don't know, well, obviously that's a deliberate thing to give you that that before and after, but try it out. So, to, to, I, I've took a, picture, uh, took a picture of a clock with a sweep hand, and I took it exactly on, on, on 12 o'clock. And when I looked at the movie file, it was actually a second before. So very interesting. The other thing, of course, the thing with the sensors, um, it is much better in low light. Um, now, I can only compare it back to the 10, so it knocks spots off that. But night mode, and you've got time exposure. The quality in that, you know what we call the golden hour, is referred to the golden hour, where it's great. You've got great light. It's lovely and diffused. You get some fantastic photographs. But it's the hour after that, which is, can get slightly tricky. When the light has now gone, the sun's gone down, and it's just starting to verge into a darker evening. Um, at that point, and I presume it's also on this now, this has got the LiDAR detector on it as well. So where you're taking a low light photograph with the 10, it's very easy for the, for the focus to start hunting, especially if you haven't got an object right in the middle of the screen. The focus is dipping in and out. It's trying to hunt around. With the LiDAR, bang, it stays exactly on what you're focused. And even if, you've, if you put the focus spot off of centre, it will stay focused on that. So that's one of the areas that the LiDAR is coming into effect, that it stops that hunting going on. Um, but as I said, I want to I do a much more in-depth, uh, take some videos, take some pictures. And as I said, I'll, I'll try and set up a little rig so I've got the two phones side by side so they're both taking exactly the same picture at the same time. So that we'll try and do for next week. And if it works out, I can put up, we can put up a little link. But so far, loving it. Couldn't wait to get it up and running uh, finally. Um, the only thing is, I have one slight problem. Unfortunately, uh, EE... Uh, in their wisdom, sent me a gold one when I'd ordered a sapphire, sapphire, uh, graphite one. So I'll be speaking to them in the morning to see where we go with this. But in saying that, the gold isn't that bad, actually. Uh, and once I put a case on it, you wouldn't even notice. So we've come to the end of our episode of our show now. I'd just like to say a huge thank you to you all. And first up, thank you very much, Tina. I shall speak to you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you very much to Martin and Alistair. Thank you, Craig. Uh, thanks all. Uh, we'll see you all uh, at the next podcast. Good night. Thank you, Craig.